0: Good morning, guys. It's great to be here with you this morning. It's nervous to be up here in front of you. Um, I'm usually on any Sunday morning. I'm usually right there where you guys are, right here at Summit, right in one of the seats. Um, over the past couple of months, Pastor Travis has preached through a series of messages based on, on the I Am statements of Jesus, the metaphors that, that Jesus used to describe himself. He said things like, I am the bread of life, the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm the vine. And as I've sat and listened to Travis break down each of those statements, there were certain things that stood out to me that spoke to me more than others. I was able to relate to and understand certain passages more than others, and even though we have all heard the same messages, I bet that that if we surveyed the room and each one of us were asked to describe Jesus after hearing those messages, to explain in our own words there'd be some variations of opinions, there'd be some different points of view, some different ways to describe him. Ever since he walked this earth, people have been wondering about the identity of Jesus, trying to figure him out. His disciples wondered. In Matthew's account of of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee, he describes the disciples as marveling, saying, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What manner of man is this? Who does something like that? Who is this guy? Even John the Baptist had a moment of uncertainty and sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one who has come? Or should we expect someone else? Are you the one? Are you really who you say you are? Who is Jesus? That question is still being asked. And I think, I believe, that it is a question that Jesus still wants us to ask. Each of us individually to know it personally. So, after a seven or eight week study called I Am, where we've looked at scripture after scripture of D- Jesus telling us who he is, what if we switched the order of those two words from I am to am I and turned it from a statement, I am, into a question? Who am I? So I'd like to take a little time this morning and look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus does exactly that. He sits down with his disciples and asks that very question. Who am I? Who do you believe that I am? So if you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, we'll be looking at verses 13 through 17. And I'll warn you. I'm gonna. Um, I'm kind of last minute with my sermon prep, and I didn't give the guys all of the scriptures that I have today. But I think it's actually better to just stay here and camp out here. And I'll read the scriptures, and you just try not, instead of trying to follow along and bounce, just to stick with this, because this is the passage we'll break down. So it's Matthew 16, 13 to 17. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon bar for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so Luke, Luke 3.23 says that Jesus began his ministry at about 30 years of age, and consensus has it that his ministry lasted about three years. And timelines of his ministry place this event, this passage as occurring within a year of his crucifixion, probably about nine months before he was hung on the cross. His disciples had been with him for over two years at this point, two years of traveling dusty town to dusty town by foot. And in that time, they had seen and experienced things, unexplainable things, miracles, people cured of disease, disfigurement, and disabilities, People who were blind were made to see, and people once deaf could now hear. Crippled arms and legs were restored to perfect health. They had watched Jesus stop a funeral procession, reach into a coffin, and raise a dead boy to life in the city of Nain. They were there on the Sea of Galilee in the boat with him, when he had stood up and with a word, calmed a raging storm. They had even watched as he walked on top of the water. And they had heard him speak of the things of God to great crowds. And he was different than the other preachers. Matthew 7:28 and 29 says that the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority. One who knew what he was talking about. And the disciples had watched how those crowds had grown. By the thousands they came, pushing to be near him begging just to touch him or even a piece of his clothing in order to be healed. Matthew 15:30 30 through 31 says that great multitudes came to him bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute and many others and they put them at his feet and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking and the blind seeing and they glorified the God of Israel. And the disciples had watched Jesus feed those crowds. On one occasion alone there were 5,000 and on another 4,000 that was just the men, not counting the women and the children that were there. They watched as he took a few loaves of bread and a handful of fish and somehow managed to multiply that little bit so that everyone was fed until full and then there were even baskets full of leftovers afterward. They'd been right in the middle of it all. And all of these things had already happened by the time Jesus and his disciples entered the town of Caesarea Philippi and Jesus starts asking questions. Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? You guys have been in the middle of the crowds. You've heard the whispers and the comments. What's going on? What are people saying about me? What do they think? So the disciples tell him what they've heard. Well, some say that you're John the Baptist or Elijah. Others say Jeremiah. Some think you're one of the other prophets. Mostly they just say you're a teacher or a prophet. To this day, there are those that that don't recognize Jesus as the Son of God, but refer to him as a prophet or a teacher. A couple of weeks ago, Jen and I traveled to California to celebrate the birthdays of some family members of ours who happened to be dear friends also, and, and there were several of us that were there and decided to go as a large group out to dinner, and I ended up sitting shoulder to shoulder with a guy named Ronnie. I'd never met Ronnie before, but he was a talkative guy, and I liked him. And so we were chatting, and I don't remember how it came up, but somehow it did, that the Jen and I attend church, and that I had even preached a couple of times, and that piqued Ronnie's interest a bit, and he asked, what kind of church do you go to? I said, well, we're, not, we're non-denominational, we're not really affiliated with a specific denomination. You know, it's a community church, a congregational church, Baptist, it, you know, it's Christian, We believe in Jesus Christ. Oh, you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. Well, I believe in Jesus too. He was a great teacher or a prophet or whatever you call it. I just don't believe, though, that he's the only way to find God. He's not the only way to heaven. I said, sorry, Ronnie, but I'm going to disagree with you on that one. He said, you do? And I said, yeah, I do. Well, teach me. <laughs> teach me how, because, because who am I to say that a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim can't go to heaven? They're good people, too, and who am I to judge? And I said, I'm no one to judge either, Ronnie, and by my standards, they are all good people. We're all good people. But I don't claim to be God. And of all those religions, Jesus is the only one to claim that he is God. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, and I believe him. Well, I'd like to say that Ronnie, by me repeating John 14:6, that he gave his life to Christ right then and there, but he kind of just shrugged, whatever, went back to his enchilada. And that was the end of our, that was pretty much the end of our conversation with, about Jesus. But my friend Ronnie and I, and I really do consider him a friend even though we disagreed on some things, he isn't the only one to see Jesus that way. See, we're immersed in a culture that hates absolutes. The idea of only one way to heaven is too exclusive. And the same goes for truth. Jesus said that he is the truth. He's the source of it. We live in a time where people define love as being accepting of whatever a person claims is their truth. The idea that Jesus could be a great moral teacher or a prophet kind of falls flat on its face when you stop to think about it. How could anyone consider him a great moral teacher and at the same time dismiss his claim to be God? How does the logic work that he's a great moral teacher on the one hand, or a great prophet, but that he's telling a giant lie about being God on the other hand? Great moral teachers don't do that. Reality is that Jesus is either exactly who he claims to be, or else he's the biggest fraud and con man in history. So after Jesus heard what the speculation was, After he had heard what the public opinions were, he digs deeper, because his question, who do people say that I am, was simply an introduction to the more important question, who do you say I am? And it was Peter who answered, you are the Christ, the Messiah, son of the living God. With every question that Jesus asks a person, he doesn't simply look for whether or not they give the right answer, but instead he's looking for that for what that answer reveals about their heart whether or not they get it in that day the expectation that people had for the messiah was that he would be a military and political figure that would rise up and overthrow the romans they pictured this messiah to be a king who would establish a new government that would provide for their physical needs and safety they pictured him as someone like king david only greater But God's teaching about the Messiah was not that he would be a king of earthly, physical, external things. He would not deliver his people from Roman oppression and bondage, but instead he would deliver his people from the oppression and bondage of sin. He would not simply provide for their material needs, but rather their internal, spiritual needs. He would be a king who would heal hearts. And he would be a king that came not to demand sacrifice from his people, but instead he would be a king who would lay down his own life as a sacrifice for his people. But in order to see and understand the Messiah in this way, the eyes of the heart have to be opened. The eyes of Peter's heart had been opened. And Jesus answered Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And don't miss this point. Jesus is affirming and celebrating Peter's answer because it has come from a heart that has been changed by God. He gets it. Blessed are you. You hear people use the phrase, I'm blessed, hashtag blessed. You hear it all the time. And most often it's used today to mean not much more than I am so lucky or fortunate. It's used in a material sense, a physical sense, a health, wealth, and happiness sense. But the biblical meaning of being blessed is so much deeper than that. Blessing in the biblical sense indicates that God has granted his favor upon a person. And not just favor But he's achieved a closeness with God, that he's in alignment with Him. There's a bond. Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There's head knowledge and there's heart knowledge. The way that God reveals Himself is through the heart. A person will never grasp the significance of who Jesus really is by reading about him in Wikipedia or studying what historians say. If you're waiting for an archaeologist to dig up some smoking gun piece of evidence or for science to prove the existence of God, or if all you know about him is what another human being has told you, if you only have head knowledge, If you only rely on what culture around you says about him, if you only rely on what popular opinion is, then you'll never really know him. You'll never experience what true blessing is. You'll never know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He'll never be real to you. The most you'll ever be able to say is he was a great moral teacher, a great prophet. Because to know for yourself who Jesus Christ truly is requires you to be changed at a depth that facts and figures and public opinion can never reach. It requires God to intervene deep within you, within your soul, and to reveal himself to you. It requires God to open your heart towards him. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to Him. Nor can He know them because they are spiritually discerned. Our natural state is not to seek after God, to know Him. In our natural state, we don't want to think about God. We don't draw near to Him in our natural state. We run from Him. John 6, 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In John six sixty five, 65, he said, I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. I look back upon my own life and I know how true this really is. I realize how long I spent trying to push God out of my mind, out of my thoughts, out of my business, out of my life. And I remember when my heart was turned towards Him and how alive that felt. It's still fresh in my mind. I have a clear picture of my life and of the difference, the before and the after, of coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord. I spent a lot of my own life trying to be my own king. No one to answer to but myself. And I had a lot of good things too, material things. A good job, a nice home, good income, a nice vehicle to ride around in. That was my kingdom. But there was no peace in my kingdom. My kingdom was filled with stress and worry. It was filled with arguments and yelling. And it was filled with blaming someone or something else any time that things didn't go according to my plan the way that I wanted it. So quick tempered. The things that used to come out of my mouth and my kingdom was built on selfishness. And the funny thing is that I would have told you that I was a Christian because I wanted Jesus Christ as my Saviour. But that's all that I wanted. I didn't want him as Lord. I didn't want him as king. I wanted him as my fire insurance policy. But I didn't want him interfering with my life. I'll call the shots, Jesus. You just stay out of the way. And that's where I tried to keep him out of my way. First John 1 John 1.6 says that if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And that was me. I had a head knowledge of Jesus as Savior, but no heart knowledge of him as the Lord of my life. But there was always this lingering, nagging suspicion inside of me that there was more to life than what I had found. In his book, "Mr. Jones, Meet the Master," Peter Marshall, who was the chaplain of the U.S. Senate many years ago, put it this way: quote: "A man walks on through life with the external call ringing in his ears, but with no response stirring in his heart." And then suddenly, without any warning, the spirit taps him on the shoulder. What happens? He turns around. The word repentance means, have, means turning around. He repents and believes and is saved. The tap on the shoulder is the almighty power of God acting without help or hindrance upon an elect fallen sinner so as to produce a new tr- creature. End quote. That lingering, nagging suspicion inside of me was the Holy Spirit tapping me on the shoulder. That was God calling to my heart penetrating my heart. It was the Father drawing me to the Son. Flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, Jesus said, but my Father who is in heaven. Those words are so true. It was not until I surrendered my life to the true King, Jesus Christ, that I found internal peace, that I could relax and be myself because I had a King to provide for me and to protect me. Because two kings can never occupy the same territory. And I was never designed nor meant to be the king of my life, nor were you meant to be the king of yours. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. These are the I am statements of Jesus. These are the metaphors that He used to describe Himself So here's the question. What if you met Jesus today and he flipped the I and the am around and he asked you that question? Who am I? Who do you say I am? Am I your Lord and Savior? Am I Lord when the storms of life come? Am I Lord when you need to forgive? Am I Lord when nobody else is watching? Am I Lord when telling the truth is more difficult than just telling a lie? Am I Lord of your finances, of the words you use? Am I Lord of your career, your workplace, your home, your marriage? Am I Lord of your life? Who do you say I am? It's the most important question you'll ever be asked. It's personal. No one else can answer it for you. And the answer will shape your life, and it will determine your eternity. And I believe that someday each of us will find ourselves face-to-face with Jesus, and He'll ask it of us. That can be a sobering thought because if I look at all the areas of my life where I don't treat him as Lord it can be overwhelming. I've got a long way to go. But I take comfort in the fact that I know deep inside that my heart has changed and that it was not from any work on my part but from the Holy Spirit tapping me on the shoulder. I know that God drew me to him. I know I never would have gone to him on my own. Have you felt that tap on your shoulder? God's word tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that means that we've got to ask ourselves some tough questions. I hope you know who Jesus Christ really is. I pray that you know him as the Messiah, the son of the living God. Lord and Savior. I pray that you know Him as the King of Kings. I want to wrap up, though, with something that I've found tremendous comfort and, insur- and assurances because you can question yourself. I once heard a pastor speak about having assurance that your faith is generous, uh, genuine, uh, genuine, I'm sorry. How can a Christian know that they're saved? So he said he'd start with a question. Do you love Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible? Do you love him perfectly? And he said that every time the person would answer honestly and say, no, I don't love him perfectly. And so the pastor followed up with another question. Do you love him then as much as you should love him? And again, the honest answer would be no. I don't love him as much as I should. So then he would ask a third and final question. Do you love the biblical Jesus at all? Is there any affection in your heart at all for Jesus Christ? If the answer to that is yes, then you can know that you've been reborn with the Holy Spirit because how could you possibly have any affection for the Jesus of the Bible unless God has revealed to you who he really is? It's just not natural otherwise. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So I pray this morning that you can say, yes, I love Jesus. I pray that you came here this morning because you wanted to hear from His Word and be with His people and that you came to worship Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Amen? Amen. I just want to wrap up before I pray us out here. Just say that that if you do have doubts or questions this morning, don't leave here. There are people to help with those, to answer questions or to just listen. There are people to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for you for what you have done in my own life that you tapped me on the shoulder. Turn me around. Father, I, I pray that every heart in here knows that. Knows that tap. And it's not the tap of someone who wants to rule over them, but it's the tap of a dad, a father who loves his sons and daughters and wants them close to him. I pray that they know you like that. We just thank you for who you are. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.